0: hello and welcome to a milwaukee admiral's podcast with charlie larson i'm aaron sims thanks for tuning in it uh, these have been a lot of fun charlie all season long we have a great guest today uh, if we have said so many times that one of the things from this pandemic uh, and you have highlighted this on more than one occasion that we get to touch base with people we never would have been able to touch base with because of the technology that It was there, but we became aware of it because of the pandemic.
1: Right. We never would have thought of this pre-pandemic to do this pre-pandemic, and it's turned out actually to be awesome for us.
0: Yes, it really has. And uh, joining us today is a former Admirals defenseman. He's still up there on a lot of like all-time lists. All-time, absolutely is. Scoring and games played and all of that, Uh, and now playing in uh, Sweden, he's uh, John Blum uh john thanks for the time uh, it's great to see you by the way um we hope we hope everything is is going well for you over there
2: yeah thanks for having me guys it's been a while uh yeah, it has miss you guys miss milwaukee and um yeah things are going pretty well in sweet t- and over here for me i, I, for tell, me, you, my family.
0: I, I tell you what though it, it has been a while but i've been usually w- once or twice a summer i've been i text you just to yes, say hi or can you do a radio show or whatever and you've always been great so it it, it has been a while and it's crazy to think you haven't played here in eight years. That's unbelievable. Oh, and that too, is so it? crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, time is flying by, that's for sure. And, you know, I was just a young, I like to say young at 20 kind of kid, you know, playing hockey and um, just having you guys around, you guys kind of were always there for me when I was in a new city and stuff like that. And just playing Professional hockey, so you know we have that connection that will go on for for many years down the road. Yeah,
1: and I can I can always I can always track your career also because you were a rookie when my son was born. So my son's eleven, <laughs> so I know that you're in your twelfth or tw- uh, I think your twelfth pro yeah. year then. Yeah,
2: yep. yeah, and exactly. I think uh, at one point my girlfriend at the time babysat your kids. So
1: yeah, she sure did. <laughs> I was thinking it's about that. While. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. As a matter of fact, <laughs>
0: yeah. I, uh, time, time flies when you're having
1: fun. Of course.
0: Yes, indeed. Before we move on, um we had uh, some sad news uh, as we record this. We we've got some sad news yesterday um that uh, Brian Sales, the longtime uh, equipment assistant with the Milwaukee Admirals and uh, also with the Milwaukee Wave and his dad was the trainer and equipment guy for the Milwaukee Wave forever, Larry, um wonderful family, but Brian passed away at the age of 36. Um he had a a difficult, um, he he had a bad hand dealt to him when he was born. And, uh, but he was the most positive guy and, and a wonderful guy. And I'll tell you, every time I would show up on a game day in the morning and the team meeting is going on um, and say there was, it, it, it may have been as little as a two game losing streak, which by God, we've all been through two game losing streaks, like once a week, it seems. Right. Uh, but Brian sales would come up to me in the, in the hallway, as I was waiting outside the locker room for the meeting to end. And Brian would say, what's going on? He'd whisper to me, what's going on? Is it the team? Is it the coach or the guys not listening? What's, what's the deal? What's happening all the time. And it was one of my, and then we'd have a conversation and he would say, oh, okay. And he felt I think he knew exactly what was going on. He just felt like he needed somebody to corroborate what he was feeling, what he was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most of the time it was just basically because two game losing streaks happen more more than anything, but, uh, uh, beautiful guy, uh, beautiful family. Um, so we, we want to send our best to them and, uh, and light a candle for Brian metaphorically because he's, uh, he his light will will shine for a long time for many people
2: so absolutely and he was he was
1: all the guys loved him right like he he did his business he he always
2: had that positive nature about him and like you said if you're losing a couple games in a row like he's smiling still working hard and you know those guys are special you know when they're around the locker room you just you just smile and admire them because they never have a bad day and yeah. you know and, no matter how bad you're playing on the ice like you see him after the game he's still smiling doing his job and he just brings a, a great atmosphere that's going to be missed. always
0: always did his
2: job
1: and, dude. he took that so seriously he did and, and but he was so you he was oftentimes quiet but yeah. he always he he always had a good chirp like and he loved to direct it he would he would just he just never knew when it was coming either right and he would say it and you'd just be like hold on did bride did brian just say that and sometimes he you know might he might even throw in a uh uh an inappropriate word which made it even funnier yeah. at least to me
2: <laughs> exactly like he was quiet like when you'd walk around the locker room but like if you popped into the trainer's uh room and stuff like that and you would just hear like a random like, joke coming from him, and it would catch you <laughs> off guard because like, you never really hear him like talking outside that room. So uh, right,
1: right that, you, you hit yeah. on the head. If he was in the locker room, if he's putting gear away or whatever, he's quiet. But if, as yeah. soon as he goes in the trainer's room, then like yeah. the personality opens up and he's chirping guys and everything like that. It's awesome. Definitely. What, a, what been, a wonderful human.
0: It's been beautiful to see the outpouring from so many people, but especially the players. I know Patrick, Selene, John, uh, there, there are so many people, Mike Leambus. There are so many people that have, uh, that have sent their best. And, uh, it, it's really nice to see it. It shows what, uh, what kind of impact this guy had. So, um, John, thanks. I, I know this is your time, and I apologize. But oh, thank, you, thank you for for uh, allowing us to to mention that because it's I think obviously it's very important. Um, so let's get into what it's like playing in Sweden. You've been this is your second year playing in Karlstad. Um, when when people look it up, it says Färjestads. Or, or far stads yeah. uh, So what what is the distinction? What is stads Is that just a club? What, or is that the name of the team? What is Farja Stads?
2: Yeah, I think it's just um uh, so I think in 1932 it was uh they're actually a ball club, so like Bandy, I believe. Okay, if sure, you know yeah. What Bandy yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so or Ferry Stad BK, which is ball club in Swedish.
1: Ah, and, gotcha.
2: Uh, so I could I guess that's kind of the history there, and then you know, Karlstad's the whole big city surrounding it. Ferrystad's kind of like a little part of the city, but um, yeah, it's it's a great club. A lot of history here. Um, they, they uh,
1: I was I was just gonna say that team came over to play an AHL All Star game. Yeah, uh, Colton Sissons was, was
0: on that. And Pontus was Pontus on that was
1: p- was playing for Fargustad. Yep, and for, Colton okay. Sissons oh. was our representative. We played on the Rock in Newfoundland. Uh, so oh, wow. they brought the whole team over and then they played, they, they obviously played more than just one game against the AHL team. They play, went around and played a few more games, uh, in North America and went back. But, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, wow, yeah. I'm. that's my familiarity with, uh, with the team. Yeah,
2: no, they're great. It's, um, you know, a little different this year, obviously no fans this whole year and stuff like that. So the arena they have here is unbelievable. It's, you know, 7,500 to 8,000 people and it's usually sold out every night. So it's a good supporting, uh, fan group they have in, in this in this city
0: do they have is is it like a, a soccer we always liken it to soccer matches or something right where there's cheers and songs and people are standing the entire time is that's what is that what yeah. it's like there
2: yeah yeah behind the net they have a whole section where all the fans are standing and doing the chants and
0: that's very on, college like, like. right there, it's, right yeah, there it's behind, awesome. specifically behind the net that's very college like
2: yeah yeah you don't have like i guess that much in Pro hockey, I would say. Um, obviously, it's a lot loud, louder when there's a big hit or a, you know a save and stuff right. like that. But you know, all throughout Europe, they're doing the chance and they're all jumping up and down and for like the whole entire game. So it's it's pretty crazy.
0: So when you when you have a season like this, when you mention no fans, how how different is it? I got and and when you first get there, I got to imagine that's one of the first things you notice when you're playing. So I gotta imagine that's probably the biggest thing you notice when you're when you're playing now.
2: Yeah, we played one game that last game of the season last year with no fence and then they canceled playoffs. But this year um, it's been from the start like 50 people, then they took it down. But um I think they're kind of getting away with it because most of the buildings have restaurants inside. Okay. And okay. for restaurants, you could see to capacity. So there okay. may be, you know. 100 in that restaurant, 100 in there and then they're just teams are just opening up little, you know, throw-in restaurants at the very top of the, the stadium just to sure. try to get fans to sit just to around get a few tables, people there, you know. huh? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, they're trying to make it work and you know, it's just uh pretty crazy, you you know, you have 8,000 limit stadium but you can't fit any people in there, but you could have a restaurant, you know. <laughs> right 50 50 50 times the size and you could have you know 100 people so it's, yeah doesn't yeah. make much sense There's always but, loop, you know yeah. yeah but this league I, I mean i think this has probably been the best league to play in um through the pandemic um you know we started on time we only pushed back the season two weeks here just to make up a couple games for some teams because they were behind yeah um but you know salary's been good they've only cut salary for three months of the year for us, which is awesome because, you know, most leagues are going 50% in Germany or 75% in Germany. So sure. um, I think Sweden's been the, the place to be for uh, this year for hockey.
1: How, how was the travel for you guys? Do you, how, are you busing most places?
2: Yeah, uh, we bus. Um, we have one or two places where we'll, we'll fly like fly. charter usually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're in our beds every night pretty much. Yeah, it's it's awesome for family. I, um, you know, we'll have a game at Malmo, which is like a six hour bus ride. We'll leave the day before. Right. So there's only like two or three places that we leave the, the day before. And that's about it. There's there's no road trips, basically, which as a hockey player, you know, I grew up in North America. I miss being on the bus for a long period. Right. Being with the hotels guys. with the guys, you yes. know, as much as I love my family and stuff like it, it's nice <laughs> to get away from. Two little kids screaming at you every day but, uh, right right but yeah I, I do i do miss that you know that's for sure
0: i was gonna ask the the difference because especially when you're younger and and things change as you get older and like you said the family and you feel uh, a responsibility and dare i say a guilt when you go on the road for a week or whatever but but I, I, how i mean i think that's where i'm at right now personally is i wouldn't mind three or four days in, in Austin, Texas. Right. I wouldn't mind uh, a couple, three nights in Cleveland. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know exactly what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You just get some alone time, either just to sit in silence or just, you know, watch a Netflix show or play cards with the guys or eat at a different restaurant. You know, it gets pretty repetitive here, living in a, a smaller city and, only playing every Thursday, Saturday, you know, it doesn't have that like excitement of playing three or four games a week or, you know, it's just kind of, I feel like sometimes I'm in the twilight zone. It's same day, Monday, same day, Tuesday, same day Wednesday, Play Thursday, you you know? Yeah.
1: (laughs) So every week is basically the same. And and there's a lot more emphasis on practice or your practice, like in the, I remember Claude Noel, who was a coach a little bit before you with us, it was February. It was right about now. And he said, well, He said to me, that this was our actual last good practice of the year. Every other practice we're going to have is going to be uh, the day before a game or the day after a game. And those practices suck. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah, no,
2: it's, it's pretty much, uh, these guys love to work out. That's for sure. They they're heavy in the gym and, um, off ice training and practices are definitely a little longer than what they would be in North America. But
1: how long is How long is that? How long is a little bit longer?
2: Um, so I would say like Monday would be like an hour, Tuesday, 50, Wednesday, 40 minutes, you know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, in North America, like you said, in between those games, you have 15 or 20 minutes and you go you're done. You Yeah. Know, you yeah. lot, you know, get a sweat and, you know, it's just getting reps in and feeling here is uh, a lot of grinding in the corners and battling and stuff like that. And, but it is different. We play 52 games, you know, and. I look back my first year, I played all 80 games as, right. you know, a 20-year-old, and I missed doing that. I, that was fun, like, just focusing on playing games. And, yeah, I think that's what pro hockey should be. You so, are
0: so. – I don't think there's many imports on your team, is there? No. Uh, Ooh, one of the we, have one,
2: we have one Finnish guy and a Norwegian guy. and I mean, I don't really count those as imports. oh, no, right. that's hardly yeah. an import, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so
0: has that been, I mean, it's your second year there, so you know the lay of the land pretty well, but is that a difficult thing? And then you mentioned too about being in a small town and all of that. Are you kind of, you're known, I would imagine, like if you would go out with your wife or your family, people come it, up? To you? Yeah,
2: sometimes I think more about like in Russia, I was more known. Um, just, you know, I don't know here. I, it is a smaller town, but I think, you just have that real big fan base that kind of know who you are, but the other people probably don't know who the hell you are for sure. <laughs> right. Um
0: But Russia, but yeah, everybody yeah, knew you in,
2: in Yeah, and, and Vladivostok, you know, like I would get a lot of people come up and ask for your autograph and stuff if you're eating lunch or whatever, if you're at the mall and
1: Vladivostok
2: taxi, Yeah, is taxi way, cab drivers.
1: Way the heck on the other side of Russia.
2: Hell yeah. That's, Way to heck, yeah, right, right above North Korea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the, I don't yeah, know what you their say, logo- If you're
2: going to play in
0: Russia, you got the one closest to California.
2: I guess, yeah. But still, 17-hour <laughs> time change and got to travel the mighty Pacific to get there. <laughs> and
1: they, they, I don't know what their logo is now, but when they first started, they literally ripped off our old logo. The Admiral's logo from uh, the 80s and when we won the Calder Cup. That was their logo uh, with admirals on it. And we saw it and like, what are we uh-huh. going to do? They're yeah, playing yeah, in Russia.
2: Shit. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I've sued them a couple of times for not getting money and we've won, but nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Save you guys this time. <laughs> yeah.
1: So let's, let's go back. I, I want to go back along. Let's yeah. start. You're from California. You're the first yeah. Californian to be picked in the first round of the NHL draft which is really pretty amazing. How did you get started playing hockey?
2: Oh, uh, well, I got started just um, playing in our street. We had a, we lived on a cul-de-sac and I don't know, my dad, he, he's from Nebraska and he liked hockey and played like adult league and stuff like that. And so he, we just had a bunch of sticks lying around. I'd go out on my shoes and we'd just get a hockey ball and play in the cul-de-sac and I had an older brother who's five or six years older and he played hockey a little bit and just, we just played all day after school. And I got invited, I played roller hockey for a few years and then I got invited to a public skate for a birthday party. And that was my first time playing ice hockey. And I loved it. How old was that? I was probably five or six skating and then played on the travel team uh, in California when I was seven. Like I would,
1: I would imagine that a travel team, like you're really traveling. Yeah,
2: you're eight years old. And I think we played four tournaments, one in Chicago, Denver, Toronto, and Detroit, I think. And yeah, we had, I mean, there was probably only 10 teams in Southern California and a couple of those are three hours in Bakersfield that you had to drive to and um, not many teams and ranks when I first started playing, that's for sure. And now it's, it's skyrocketing and it's awesome to see the, the hockey being played in California and the Ducks and Kings are buying every rink down there and just building them up and making it awesome.
1: And there's so many players now starting to come out of California. I mean, the Brett's Brett Sterling's just a little bit younger than you, uh, but we've had them here, Taylor Aronson and Matt White. And like, there there's really a hockey boom sort of going on and you take some pride knowing like, Hey, I helped you help to, to sort of lead this.
2: Yeah. I think I was, you know, a pioneer. Um, obviously didn't go to college that round stuff, but I kind of paved the trail for Californians to go to the Western hockey league, had a good four years there, but um, yeah, I look back and I definitely went once I'm done playing in a couple of years, I want to, get my hand in California hockey and help out those kids and kind of be a mentor and just help any way I can, because uh, when I was starting it, I didn't know anything about hockey. I didn't know anything about world juniors. I didn't, all I knew was, you know, the NHL and Stanley cup playoffs. I didn't know anything else, but um, people are so dedicated and there's a lot of good coaches now down there. And, you know, it's, 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 it's great to see. I mean, the Ducks, just did a $150 million practice facility of four rinks. And right. <laughs> I couldn't imagine having one of those. And I was seven years old to play <laughs> on and develop.
0: Yeah. Right. How do you get through all of this? You just said you didn't know much about the world of hockey other than basically what you saw on TV. So now you're in, you get drafted to play in Vancouver and you're, I mean, you're, you're a world traveler by the time you get to this point because of necessity so now you end up in Vancouver in the world in the uh, Western Hockey League, um, and you got to figure out how to get to Kootenay, and you got—I mean—all these yeah, yeah. strange-sounding red deer, and you got to go to all yeah. these strange-sounding towns that uh, that Americans make fun of as being Moose Jaw. Everybody, everybody makes fun of the very Canadian-sounding towns. So I mean, how, who, who, who counsels you? Who, where do you find the answers, or is it just? you're They're just it out it as best you take yeah,
2: it until had, you make it i had two really good coaches growing up um jack bocus who was awesome like a second father to me he actually just passed away uh last year last march i think it was There's, you know but he yeah he passed away which hurt deep down he was he kind of pushed me he pushed me every day to be you know who i am today and was very very hard on me as a as a coach and you know, now that I look back on it, like, it was good for me. But at the time, it wasn't fun, you know. But he saw potential in me, and he pushed me to my limits. And um, the other was Jeff Turcotte, who who was a scout for the Vancouver Giants at the time. Um, so, I think he told them to draft me. And uh, my coach, Jack, he actually played in the Western Hockey League for the Saskatoon Blades. So, when we were about 13, 14 years old, we are going up to Western Canada doing tournaments there, getting scouted. And I just wanted to go play as many games as I can. And I went up there at 16. Like I said, at that time, Vancouver hosted the World Junior Tournament. And that was the first time I ever heard of the, the tournament, you know, like, wow. And I'm sitting in GM place at the time where the Canucks play, watching Canada, Russia, you know, with 20,000 people and just feeling the intensity and the action. It was, it was an eye-opener for me, that was for sure. 'Cause Good you know, thing. I oh, go ahead. I play for I play in California, you know, when I'm fourteen or fifteen, we play a game and then we go to the beach after, you know.
0: <laughs> so like
2: you know, we we play, we we would dominate California hockey, go have fun at the beach, but now I'm seeing like as a sixteen year old playing uh just the type of intensity and the moment this world juniors is and then two years later I'm freaking playing in the They're tournament, you know. So it. yeah. it's yeah, it, it happens fast, you learn fast and it's definitely an eye-opener um and I, I had good teammates around just to help me out and guide me through especially being 16 living in a different country
0: did you ever um get to the point where college is recording you
2: um there was a couple interested you got a couple like forms in the mail and stuff like that but at the time you know there was a few guys like you said brett sterling went and my buddy Rhett Rogashani, but they weren't really like scouting too much in California. And we had a lot of good talent, you know, two second place finishes at us nationals and nobody on our team is getting a form to go to the national team or any interest in college. So, you know, we just said, we're going to go to the Western hockey league and a couple of our guys did really well up there. Shane Harper, um, Colin Long, you know, they all had great careers up in, uh, Western Canada and, you know, got to play pro hockey and play in the NHL. And obviously there's no right or wrong way to go, but just at that time they weren't really, uh, too interested in California right. hockey. Right, right. Right.
1: How, how difficult of a transition off the ice was it for you to move away from your family, uh, to then to go up to a different country in Vancouver?
2: Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me at the time. Um, being a 16 year- old the year before that I lost my sister um, right. in a house house fire and then six months after that my mom's diagnosed with cancer and she's basically given three to six months to live you know and I have to make a decision if I'm going to stay home or go up to Canada and my mom wanted me to to go live my dream and play hockey so I went and, um, and at she the time
0: didn't I' of that. she she beat the hell out of that diagnosis yeah yeah
2: she she went for 10 years man she she gave it a hell of a run and she battled every day and um you know her my dad and my brother and sister they they did a good job of kind of shielding me from reality at the time when I was 16 because you know I would have a game and after I'd call my mom and you know, they'd be like, Oh, she's sleeping. She's doing okay. She's doing fine. But really, you know, she's puking in the trash can from, from chemo and stuff and down less than a hundred pounds. So, um, they obviously didn't want me to worry. They kind of kept me in a bubble with that, but she got up there and got to visit me a few times, which was awesome. And she saw me win the world cup when I was 17 and saw me get drafted and everything. So, um, yeah, that was a hard decision for me at the time to leave because, you know, that could have been the last time, you know, you see your mom alive. But like right. I said, she fought and fought and fought and inspired me. Just, you know, you block a shot or you have a little injury and you feel pretty shitty about yourself or have a bad couple of games. But reality, there's a lot more people going through worse things. And, um, you know, that kind of put life into perspective for me.
0: Sure. You go, you go there. You went, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Charlie. I was just going to say you were, you're, you're drafted
1: in the first round. You have just an incredible, a remarkable junior career. Uh, Like you said, win the Memorial cup. You're the defenseman of the year. So, you know, you know, obviously you know you're a good player and you know you're going to get drafted, but uh, talk about, you know, the draft experience for you. Where was it? I assume you were there and did Nashville, tell you ever all the high draft picks tend now they have meetings. Were there meetings back then? And did Nashville yeah, say, have, hey, yeah. if we have a chance, we want you.
2: Um no Nashville didn't say that. Um that would that's yeah, not a David
1: H- Poyle thing to say, I don't think.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah we have the NHL combine and um I think I had maybe 24 out of the 30 teams with interviews. So there was a lot of interviews and you go through that process and then the day before um, we have a meeting with our agent, like in his hotel room. And then he kind of tells you, yeah, we have you around like the 20 to 30 spot picked. So just stay tight, but anything could happen. And uh, I ended up going 23rd overall. It was, a, it was a long three hour wait. Um, the draft was in Columbus and um, you know, you're there an hour and a half before the draft starts and then you got to wait three hours. And my name was called. So It was uh, pretty incredible. I think I had maybe 12 or 15 family members and friends there. So wow! it was a, yeah. And like for my sister and her husband and my girlfriend at the time and brother and his uh, wife, they all missed their flight. Like it got canceled from Los Angeles as a red eye flight. So they ended up driving to Vegas, which is three and a half hours away. And they caught a flight in the morning that got to Columbus and they got there like 45 minutes before the draft started. So they just showered, went to the hotel and got in their suits and stuff and, and came. So it was pretty, pretty incredible. They made it. They, they weren't going to miss that moment. Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, and then what, what is the media situation like when you're done with that? I, I, do they usher you to a room and it's a big conference call? Was everybody there in person? What happens next?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He- you go up, uh, get the jersey, take the pictures, and then you go with the media guy for the Preds, and he takes you in the back back area room, and um, kind of just stand on a podium, and there's a bunch of media asking you questions, and you go through all the pictures, and and then like an hour and a half later, you, you get to meet your family up in the suite where the the <laughs> Preds have their box and stuff like that. You get a you get to meet everyone again from the Predators and. It's a very long day, but it it, it was worth it. Um, it's funny because that day was my uh, high school graduation. I had the option to choose which one I was going go to go <laughs> to. <laughs> I'm going to the NHL draft. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I mean, I was in school for eleventh and twelfth grade in Canada, so you know. I, I was actually going to ask. You I, wasn't, where- I wasn't. I wasn't too bummed about. You know, missing my California graduation.
1: Uh, that's. I was actually going to ask you that. Where did you graduate from? Was it from a California school or from a school up in Vancouver? But you answered
2: that. Yeah, I got the diploma from my California. They made it really easy in um, Canada to transfer over my credits. And all I had to do was take like uh, U.S. history and civics and economics online just to make that extra transfer. So it was pretty simple.
1: What do you know about Nashville at that point uh, when you're, when you're drafted? Do you know a lot about it? Are you following the NHL uh, or is it just uh, like, well, come what may. And
2: Yeah, not a whole lot. I know like Suter Weber. And then my, one of my good buddies, uh, you know, Cody Franson who I played with in Vancouver, in Vancouver was there. Sure. So that was uh, a cool moment to be drafted there and actually get to play with him.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So
1: what, well, you're coming in, you finish your junior, you finish out juniors uh, in Vancouver, and then you, your, your season's over and then you have to make a decision. Was it a decision for you to come to Milwaukee to play a few games? Was that sometimes guys don't guys are tired. like you're tired. It's a long, tough season. And it probably maybe ends, doesn't end exactly the way you wanted it.
2: Uh, so was it a yeah, yeah It's uh, Is that a
1: tough choice?
2: No, not really. Um, even though I had a long four years, um, with my juniors, my first few years going all the way to the moral cup. And then the next two, I think was second and third round of playoffs. Um, You know, your body's tired, but you're 19 years old. You're Yeah. Right. Like you want to go experience that pro uh, atmosphere of the games. And and not only I got to play, I got to play in playoffs and just to get my feet wet for the, the following year and meet the staff like you guys and the trainers and, um, it's, it's a cool process. So, you know, I was excited, uh, to, to leave juniors, you know, you're sad at the time that you were close to winning another championship, but you know, you turn your focus into trying to help the Milwaukee admirals win a playoff round and win a playoff, call their cup So, um, but, it was a what cool you, experience for sure.
1: What, what do you remember from coming into the locker room that first time? Did you know anybody Were you, I'm sure you were nervous, but what's going through your head?
2: Yeah, I knew like, uh, Santarelli and obviously Franson and those guys. Uh, I think Tristan Grant because he played for the Giants. Yeah, Tristan Grant did. Sure, sure. Um, it was just nerve wracking. You know, I- you guys are like so so much older, and you're kind of just a kid coming in, and you don't want to yeah. step on anybody's feet, you know, or toes, and kind of just being quiet and taking everything in. And, and,
1: and it's you know. such, it's so it's the opposite of going. When you're in Vancouver, you're the elder Statesman. You're the fourth year guy. Yeah, you're the leader yeah. of the team. Then you yeah, come exactly. in and you're playing, you're going, you're literally, we say this all the time. You're going from playing with boys to playing with men. And now you're the yeah. low man on the totem pole and you're a rookie. You're probably pump, bumping somebody out of the lineup.
2: That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I remember that. It was, I think it was Kelsey Wilson. At the time we, we draft or uh, they dress 70, I think. And okay, I felt bad. Cause you know, he, He's a heart and soul guy, and he's the whole year there, and I'm just this new prospect coming in that is given the ice time, you know. And you know, now that I'm an older guy and stuff like that, you know, it's it sucks at the time that he he's got to sit out because you know I'm coming in and we're gonna play seventy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, remember, remember that. The- you know, you remember that stuff as a hockey player, you know, and yeah, that's the the life of it. You know, it's sometimes you're a piece of meat and treated like it. That's for sure. Right.
0: <laughs> it's not, I remember, I remember meeting you when you first got there and I'm curious, do, do you, re, cause I do, I didn't write this stuff down back then, but do you remember who you skated with as a partner? Yes, sir.
2: Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I, just,
0: I just curious uh, when it starts for you. I, I, I want to get to one specific game. Uh, I, I point to this game um, as probably my favorite game in all the years I've done. And, and Charlie knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it took place. We're coming up on almost 11 years ago. Um, a seven, six overtime, a game again, win over Chicago at the Bradley center uh, dropkick. Murphy's are getting ready to play on the stage after the yeah. game by the time Everything starts to get wild in the first period. Real quick, it was three to two Admirals after the first period, and then Chicago comes back to take a five four lead after two, tie it up obviously six six after after three, and then you get into the overtime. Um, you had a couple goals in that game. If yeah, I, don't I know if you remember it. that or not?
2: No, I remember one of them for sure.
0: <clears throat> Seven six overtime game. You you actually uh, gave the Admirals a short lived lead. And then Tim Stapleton scored. Uh, Charlie, I'm running this down here. Uh, Tim Stapleton scored <laughs> with seven seconds to go on the power play to force the overtime. Okay, Oh, I don't remember and, that. And it's
2: there's, <laughs> there's Dietrich score? Yeah, that's, that's the detroit Remember Dietrich yeah, game. The yeah. game? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay.
0: it's coming back. How how well do you remember that? It, yeah, it, 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 it's coming back. But it was uh, nuts
2: because like
0: because like I said, like, okay, for me three two me, after
2: one and like. What's for me, I remember. Games?
0: I don't remember any of that. I I am sorry to interrupt. I don't remember any of that. I remember, like the feeling, like like players always say, you don't miss the word, you, you miss the guys, that kind of thing. Like I don't remember specific goals. I don't, re- but yeah. but I remember that one because of the reaction, because of the moment, because all of that, right? Like it was the perfect storm yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. So I'm no, sorry. for That's sure. Kind
2: of, I know. And then no, just like those concert games, it's wild in the first period but you know it's probably the 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 arena is probably a quarter full and then (laughs) as you keep going in the game there's thousands more coming in thousands more coming in and by the time you know that third period ends it's packed and it's full and then you have robert score the game winning goal and jumps into the glass you know and it's chaos and it's a cool feeling and you know when you guys post that highlight um every so often on like Twitter or something, you know, like your voice is like, it's freaking electric, you know? And like, oh those are the moments you, you remember for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Robert was, uh, and there too, a guy we lost way too early. Um, I, I always tell this, I remember him getting a haircut and everybody just making fun of him. Because <laughs> yeah, he got like, this
2: soccer mom. Terrible
0: bowl haircut.
2: <laughs> <you know>? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And what's funny is when I bring that up, everybody else remembers it too.
2: Yeah. Like, like I, I wouldn't think it about it, but bad. now that you say it, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was that bad.
0: It was that bad. Uh, the guys you played with at the time, you mentioned Tristan Grant. You're there with Scott Ford. You're there. You start with Nolan Yonkman. I mean, you, you're yes. there with a lot of guys, yourself included, guys who played a lot of games for the mm-hmm. Milwaukee Admirals. Tristan Grant. I mean, a, a lot of guys that were over 200 games with the Admirals there. That's 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 a a, a core group, if, if there ever is one.
2: For sure. That was a good time. I mean, Milwaukee was some of the best the best times I had as a professional hockey player, just being with those, you know, you got Scott Ford and Nolan Yonkman, who are the mayors of the town, and you're just a young pup just hanging by their side and going to the bars with these guys, and these guys know everybody. And, you know, <laughs> you're just like – Damn, these anybody guys are cool, you know. <laughs> and anybody that
1: they don't know, they're introducing themselves with, and they're best friends oh, for, by the time you leave.
2: For sure, and you're you're walking to the front of the nightclubs and stuff like that, and with these guys, and they knew everybody. They had a good relationship. Those are two guys that, you know, I haven't talked to Yonks in a long time. I still I still talk to Fordo now and then, and um, he's an amazing guy. And like those are those are guys that in my career early on that you know, I can't think enough because they would stick up for me if I took a big hit and, you know, they knew I might be a special player going into it. So they, they kind of protected me and shielded me. And, you know, those are guys that put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and, you know, are just overall good guys off the ice too.
0: Well, and the, the off the ice thing, I mean, we always talk about the, the change from, boys to men kind of thing, college or junior to playing professional hockey, but the off the ice thing, right. And figuring out what to do with your time. And, and I I think a guy like Fordo, those two guys in particular are, are guys I always point to because they made, they made it a point to get out in the community and have friends outside of the locker room. And I'm curious if that had an impact or what kind of an impact that had on you that, they didn't necessarily need and not, not that there's anything wrong with having those 20 guys in the room, your best friends, but like we said before, it's nice to go to Cleveland for a couple of days and watch Netflix away from the family for, for a little
2: bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's definitely life outside of hockey. that I don't think as a young guy, you kind of realize, but sure. you get your mid twenties and especially being 30 and stuff like that. You, you meet people and, um, now that I've been to different countries and different teams, you know, I've, I've met a lot of great people outside of hockey. Um, you know, a few in Russia that I still talk to, you know, once a week and that helped me. And, you know, and here in Sweden too, just, just meeting people outside and there's so many good people wanting to help you all the time. And, you know, you kind of get taken care of a lot. So if you have the chance to to pay it back, you, you definitely got to do it. Um, and just not like with Fordo and Yonks, like, like I said, they were good in the community and stuff, but like, they made it easier as a young guy to come to the, the, the rink and feel important. And, you know, you have that rookie and veteran status in North America. That's, yeah. you know, if you're a young guy, you don't go on the elevator first. So you don't eat first and stuff like that. And, you know, sometimes they'll let it slide, but like, you know, they, they didn't make you feel like an asshole or anything like that. So, um, I hope that's the way this way, because, you know, as a rookie, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's new, everything. And, but if you have a nice older guy to kind of take you under the wing, it's, you always remember that down the road.
1: Sure. Talk talk a little bit about what it was like to play for Lane Lambert. We always talk about Lane. Lane's one of the best, certainly one of the most successful coaches the admirals have ever had. And oh boy, very intense guy. So uh, talk about what it was like to play for Lane coming in, especially right off as a, as a rookie.
2: Yeah, I think he's one of the one of the best coaches I've ever had. Um, yeah, he was definitely very very intense, um, especially as a young guy. You're kind of taken back by it because you know right. you kind of almost don't want to screw up because you're just thinking he's gonna he's gonna snap at you. But he he wanted the best for you and he cared a lot. And his details and habits of the game were unbelievable. Like he was sharp. He he thought about everything in every situation, and you know set the team up to win every night just the way he coached and um he was a great guy he 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 cared about you and like i said i go back to sometimes you know you get that feeling sometimes you're a piece of meat or whatever and guys just use it just straight for hockey don't ask about how you're doing on off the ice and stuff but lane i think lane genuine genuinely cared you know about your feelings and your family off the ice, et cetera, like that. So, you know, that goes a long way as a player, that relationship.
1: You, 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 like you mentioned, you play 80 games as a rookie and have really a great year. Like I look at your stat line you're as a defenseman and obviously you, we, everyone knew you are an offensive defenseman, right? But you still yeah. put up 40 points. I think you're plus, what are we, plus, you're plus 17, uh, but you don't yeah. get the, you don't get the call up. So then you got to start it all over again. Not even uh, all rookie
2: team. What's
1: that? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so then you come back the next year and I assume you've got a little bit more confidence and eventually you do get the call up to Nashville. So take us through how you found out you're getting called up and your first NHL game. Like, where was it? Where was it? Who, uh, who was it against? Obviously we know that if it was on the road, all that, uh, all the good details, just, yeah. do, do you have a puck from that game or anything?
2: Yeah. I just remember, um, practicing in Milwaukee and then, uh, what time of the year is it? This is in, uh, February. So you had gone uh, all
1: all that time and you're probably thinking to yourself, other guys are getting called up. It's the nature of the beast in the AHL, right? Like how, how do you, how do you manage? I just
2: just knew at the time too, like Nashville was, uh, kind of all about the process, you know, like go through Milwaukee and pay your dues and, uh, You know, so I wasn't too concerned, obviously, if I didn't get called up after two years, you know, Um, it worked out and stuff like that. But, you know, I wasn't nervous or anything like that. I was playing good in Milwaukee and having a good time. So um, but I just remember after practice, you know, just having Lane say he wants to talk to me. And I'm like, oh, goodness, like, Uh oh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, what what, I do, do, you know, come see me and I'll little office they have back behind the gym there. I'm like, <laughs> right. they like, he sh- shuts the door. And I'm like, okay. Like, hey. Oh, it's he's like, he's like, sit down. I'm like, okay. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, is everything all right? He's like, yeah. He's like, you're getting the call up to Nashville. Um, we don't know how long it is for just pack a bag and you they're going to contact you and you're going to leave soon. I'm like, all right, well shit. You know, like you get excited, <laughs> you get nervous and like, once I'm done, I, like, tell my parents, hey, like, getting called up, you know, and uh, I fly to Nashville, and then the next day, so it was, like, a, I think it was two days in between. So um, they – we go to Columbus, first games in Columbus, and my parents flew there, which was great. So they got to see my first game. Um,
0: right back at the draft place. I was going to say, yeah, how yeah, – everything, everything,
2: everything goes through Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. I scored my first goal against Columbus. Um, I played my last game with the Predators in Columbus. Like it's yeah, I it was just like wow. everything seemed to like go through Columbus. <laughs> but um, I had my buddy who was living with me in Milwaukee. Um, him and another buddy, they drove up to Columbus from Milwaukee and saw me play my first game. So um, it was pretty cool. We lost, I think, three or four to one, but. I played 17 minutes, and yeah. You know, did you have Did
1: you just, have a, a welcome to the NHL moment? Like you looked across and.
2: Well, I, I just in be, warm ups, yeah, like Rick Nash. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to go against this big guy and stuff like that, and right. Do
1: you think just, yourself? Just what, what am I supposed the, to? What am I supposed to do to Rick Nash in front of the net? Yeah, exactly.
2: Oh, the cannon, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I just,
0: say, that's a yeah, four to one or three to one. The the cannon yeah. went off a few times.
2: Yeah, so it was. uh, pretty intimidating and eye opener. And then we played um, uh three games later and I scored at home in Nashville. And how
1: did that, how did pretty... that goal happen?
2: Um, I think it was Nick Spalling who came around the net and I was at the blue line and he passed it from behind the net, like through the seam. And I got it at the point and just did like a half slap shot through a screen and it went over the, the goalie's glove. And, you know, I just, uh, just, I turned in Cody Franson as my D partner and I just grabbed him. So it was uh, pretty cool.
1: <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And where, where is that puck? Uh,
2: it's actually, it's been in my dad's office for years, but I think I might've got it last summer. It's in a plaque and everything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. so, um, yeah, I've been having like a lot of stuff I've been showing my, my kids now and hockey cards and, pretty cool when you have kids you, you save all that stuff and you get to show them down the road
0: are you a collector like do you go to um do, do you collect cards or is it just no or, no or, so or do i you, used
2: to i used to as a kid but
0: yeah do you i don't how know about, what happened how about, how about like sticks like do you get sticks from a teammate or do you get to go yeah or, or, or somebody you know like dean evison talks about how he got a stick from wayne gretzky for for his kid right and things like that yeah
2: so so um my buddy, I don't know if you guys remember him, Mike Glass Turtle. We called him there in Milwaukee. I was I like, wanted to
1: ask about him, and I t- yeah. and I was thinking to myself, I have no idea what his name is. I just know his name. I yeah. knew his turtle, but I have turtle, no idea yeah. what his name was.
2: Yeah, so he, he came out lived there for basically two years, and when I was called up in Nashville, he was at my place and driving my car and hanging out with the OC and Clawson and those guys and. He helped uh with the being equipment manager there with Dave Randolph and Chris and but um
0: Oh yeah, gosh he, now he, I re, golly it took forever. Yeah. Now I remember, yeah. When you said yeah, that you yeah, now I do, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So he's uh he's working for the ducks as like uh basically the same thing he did in Milwaukee, um the visiting locker room guy for uh for for the teams that come in and all my buddies, like I got a signed stick from Shea Weber, Suter, Yossi, um, TJ Oshi. I've, I've got a, you know, a good stick collection, probably about like 15 sticks of guys who I played with or I've known or I've asked um, to, to give to my two sons when they get older. So it's uh pretty cool. Those guys take the time and sign a stick and. Stuff like that, and they just give it to my buddy when they play the Ducks, and he takes it home for me. So um, it's pretty cool. That's got Chris really Chelios, you know. I got when well, he played Chris Chelios in playoffs there when he played for the Wolves. Right. I knew his, How I knew surrealism. his son and stuff like sure. that. And um, I asked well. Chris after the playoffs if he could give me a stick, and he signed it, you know, to Jonathan. All the best, and then you know, ten years later, he's my D coach for the Olympics. So <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a small world.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. that's how surreal was that though. You mentioned play, you get out there and there's Chris Chelios lining up on the other team. That's unbelievable. For, for me, it was a thrill. I can't imagine oh to it, be on the ice.
2: Yeah, and he's like wearing the old school gear. It didn't even look like he's wearing shoulder pads. And he was like my, he's like my idol growing up. And like we're playing these guys in playoffs, and we played them so many times, and we hate Chicago and. I got like Tristan Grant dumping the puck in his corner and just bearing him. I'm like, oh, shit. Like,
0: <laughs> Did you on, apologize?
2: I'm like, that's a legend, man. I know it's playoffs, but like... Yeah, but come on. I think he's, four, I think he's like 44 at the time. I don't yes. know, you know? Like, And then like, we're all sitting at the on the blue line, like on the bench and he's on the ice and he's a righty on the right blue line and the puck squirts to the middle. He flips his stick over as a lefty and Slap shot it with his backhand, and all the defensemen <laughs> just on the bench looked at each other and were like, "Did you freaking Did see we, that? Like, <laughs> like it was the kidding? Matrix, dude. It was like I've never like seen a player do that before, but it, it was pretty sick.
0: <laughs> I remember Billy Gardner, who does color commentary for them, talked about when he would retrieve a puck about how he he would look over the wrong shoulder. It was his it, it, not how you're trained, and I'm like, I think he's retrieving the puck because he knows he already knows what's here right the experience is he knows that this is here so let's take a look at something that might be open on the other side he knows the pressure is coming from there and already so let's see what it looks like over there for I I just just the experience the smarts the the hockey whatever you want to throw in I mean it was just he really was amazing to watch you don't get that stuff when you're watching him on television yeah for sure yeah
1: i'll say also that uh john bitter from our office uh saw him coming out of the bradley center and and commented to him didn't know what to say and said said to him something like geez chris you're looking really tan or something like that <laughs> and i i think chelios just looked at him I, he would have to confirm this looked at him and was like
0: and didn't even say anything just
2: kept yeah, walking right away like what are you gonna say to that
1: <laughs>
0: I remember. (laughs) Do you remember after the game, we the bus would always have to be up top because at the at the Allstate Arena in Rosemont, yeah, the bus would drive underneath. It it still does. drops you off at the locker room and then has to back out because it's in the way of the Zamboni and all of that stuff. But the loading dock, you can actually drive down and get out, and you're right at the locker room. But you had to wait after a game when Chelios was there because his car would be down there, so he could leave (laughs) after the game. So his car. And, and right. by God, he should have had precedent, right? Uh, precedence, yeah, right? Like, he should be there first. There's no doubt. But yeah, his car would be there and somebody would have it. It, it was always clean for some reason. So I don't know if they detailed <laughs> it for him or what. During the game, <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but he he came out and he would shake a few hands and he would get in his car and zoom away. And that was that. And I'm like, that's that's living it, man. Yeah. That's, that's yeah.
2: awesome. He's that's
0: awesome. You Aaron, Go ahead, Charlie. I was going to say, Aaron mentioned a
1: game, uh, a famous game in Admiral's history. I'm going to mention a different one for a different reason. April 1st, I call it, I've called this the April Fool's Day Massacre. April 1st, 2012, I think it was 2012, uh, where we have a a bench-clearing brawl. Oh, yeah. And what do you remember from that game uh, and, and how it, like, from where were you when it went down and you remember who you sort of – Paired up with and uh, like and and just what do you remember from that game?
2: Yeah, when you play like Rockford twelve times a year, (laughs) you just build that hatred. Um, I think I just I came off the ice. It was obviously the TV timeout, and I just came off a shift, so I sat down. I like took my gloves off, and I was sipping some water. And all of a sudden, like the guys on the ice, like I'm looking this way, and all of a sudden they're just taking off to the left. Right. And I didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, like I already had my gloves off. I just threw my water bottle, stepped on the ice, and like the second period, like you're right next to their defenseman, and I ended up just grabbing. I think I think it was their captain, maybe Stanton or something. At Brian face
0: Brian Fahey, Fahey. Fahey,
2: Yeah, something. Yeah. yeah, and you know we just jostled each other, but yeah, that was something rememberable. You know, Michael Latta with with no, that's a- nothing on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I just, he was here with me last year, and, and right. you know, we we we'd go out to dinner, and we would tell the guys about it. and They just couldn't believe it, so we'd have to pull it up on YouTube and <laughs> show them because this league is no fighting, and you know, there's lotta with no shoulder pads, no shirt, just <laughs> right nothing. just it's like, yeah. looking like, to we, write some names down.
1: We have the greatest yeah. picture of him looking. Everyone's paired up on the ice, but Lats is out there not engaged with anyone, just looking for somebody like it was some sort of street brawl.
2: that was hilarious that was his time
0: you know (laughs) i like to ask do you realize i never realized it until the last year who started the whole thing do you do you realize who threw the first punch in the whole bit
2: smitty probably did you did yeah i just knew he was talking smack and instigating (laughs) and and that guy was that guy was tough and he's probably not going to take it from Jeremy Smith, who's 160 pounds at the time, you know, and, you know, he, he probably knew like it's in the corner. He's got a good three or four seconds before anybody gets to him, you know. So like, right, he took he took his swings in, but our guys got down there pretty fast. fast. You know, we Mueller Dupont, those guys, they like went after guys, and then the other guys built the wall, so like no one else could get to those guys, and then yeah. they just turned. As, it was kind of like the 300, you know, and they just let the guys yeah. just outnumber the guys the initial guys and we just turned around and built the wall so no one could get there (laughs) it
1: it, it was really it was a lot different than like what you think of maybe when you think of like a a a broad street bullies brawl maybe from the 70s or or 80s right it wasn't 20 20 on 20 just pounding away there's only realistically there's probably only four or six guys fighting and everyone else is yeah you're like you say you're you're paired up you're jostling the guy but neither of you really want to we don't, yeah, of course. Let's just keep this cool
2: here, right? <laughs> yeah. And then Herbie. Herbie at the time got in oh. with their coach in the middle. And, that yeah, was good.
1: good I wish that it. would have happened. I, I mean, I got to be uh, honest. Not...
2: Herbie's a freaking
1: a giant huge
2: guy. Oh, my <laughs> God. He's like... enormous. Yeah, his hands.
1: <laughs> like, he could pick
0: me up yeah. with his hands yeah, from my head. So of course. <laughs> <laughs> so when that, when that ends and the ice is cleared and everybody – and you get to the locker room. What's the mood in the locker room? Uh, I think you're just, just like, like, oh yeah, you you're laughing like, about it. Yeah, you're. you're laughing, or was or it like, like, that's awesome? Let's keep going. Or what? yeah, you're like,
2: did you see that? Like that was sick. Like, did you see me like punching this guy? Or like, you know, <laughs> right? And did what you see people, Mueller in there, like going at it? Like it's just, you know,
1: what do people say? It's Lats serious, winner. It's like, serious, winner
2: out there. Oh, Lats, I don't know. Just
1: just you look at? I don't it, like,
2: think. I don't think at the time, you kind of know what Lats was doing because like. <laughs> You're kind of head on a swivel, like looking to see if anybody's going to clock you from the right. side or whatever. And so at and the he... time, you don't know what Lats did, you know, but when you see it after on video, like after the game, you're like, holy shit, Lats, like you're, <laughs> you're a psycho. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jumping in. Um, yeah. let, let's talk about your experience. Um you end up going to to Russia after after your, your time in with the Minnesota Wild organization. And you mentioned playing in Vladivostok. Uh, how difficult a decision was that for you? Uh,
2: it was tough because at, at the time, you're kind of like... They say you could come back to the NHL or whatever and stuff like that if you have a good year or whatever. But, you know, you could be giving up on your playing in the NHL. But at that time, you know, it was... I had two good years in Iowa, played some in Minnesota, um, but I was a, a restricted free agent. They wanted to give me a lot less money than I was making. And I was second on the team in scoring. And, you know, I felt like I didn't deserve to lose 50% of my salary, you know. So I said, screw that. I'm going to go over to Russia and make double, you know, what I was making. Yeah. And um, it was fun. It, it, uh, it gave me another love for hockey you know when, when you're playing in north america for so long and you're up and down and you're going through the politics of of yeah. hockey and stuff like that and um it kind of wears on you and stuff like that living in hotels and you know like you say you just get called up because someone hurts their growing in practice you know and then no matter what you do in that game you're still going to be sent down so right. um you know i just got tired of it so i went to russia and I loved it. You know, I was playing 29 minutes a game and was an all-star my first year and I got to travel the world and see the world and go to places that I never thought I would even see in my life. So, and now I've been over here for six years just as uh, I've been as many in North America. So yeah, it sucks to like leave that aspect of the game, North America and stuff. I want to come back. I'd love to come back, you know, and, but you know, there's. I'm 32 now, and it doesn't seem like they have too many 32 year olds in the league. They've they go on younger and younger all the time.
0: Yeah. Happy birthday, by the way. It just happened. Oh, thank you. you.
2: Thank uh, you. Uh,
0: so when I think you told me what this is a few years ago when when you answered the phone and we had you on the radio show, it's like 13 time zones or something like that. Like it it, it would be for to go from Vladivostok to say Moscow to play a game. What what is that trip?
2: Yeah. Down? It was it was seven hour time difference from Vladivostok to Moscow wow it, it would take it would take us 11 hours on the plane to get there Oof. and you got to stop and refuel um mm. a lot of travel uh, that year uh, you know I did it for basically three years and you know it's definitely a grind on the body just the time changes and not sleeping and playing and stuff like that and then the last year kind of get a lot of money owed to us which sucked so you kind of did that for nothing but
0: um, overall it was
2: a good experience i i enjoyed it and met a lot of nice people and you
0: know you finished life, over there, go, life you goes on. Up, you ended up getting to Sochi and yeah where the Olympics were in what 14 I suppose right yeah yep. so when you get when you moved to, to Sochi for half of a season right
2: uh, it was 10 games 10 regular season so barely, games
0: so did that one did that help the travel but two what was it what did that town look like four or five years after the olympics after everything had been built up and then you know the pictures we see is that it's basically a ghost town
2: yeah so like i played the, the first Olympic
0: village as a ghost
2: town yeah 50 games and uh a lot of ostec that year and they weren't paying us so we ended up leaving um december 31st at the trade deadline so new year's And I got selected to play in Olympics that year. So um, played like seven games games for Sochi at the time. And then an Olympic break was happening. So USA didn't have a training camp. So I flew back to Vladivostok because that's right next to South Korea, a two hour flight. And, you know, I just got to Sochi and I still needed to skate and stuff like that. And I knew, People in Vladivostok. I've been there for three years. So I did my training before the Olympics uh, in Vladivostok. And, you know, I was skating on my own. And sometimes I would ask them, like, if I could skate on the ice. And they're like, yeah, sure, sure. And two of the times they didn't leave me pucks. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm skating, you know, 10 days before the Olympics starts, you know, with no pucks. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a freaking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I hung out a lot of Vostok and um, ended up going just fly the two hours when we had to go to the Olympics. But um, to go back to Sochi, you know, it's, yeah, definitely it's a ghost town um, during like the, the winters and stuff like that. There is nobody there. You won't yeah. like, you won't see anybody. The weather's perfect. It's warm, but in the summers, Sochi is so busy and the beaches are so crowded, um, but it was a nice place to play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was there for, you know, like I said, seven games, probably two and a half weeks, and then went to the Olympics, played there, came back for three games, and then played a one round of playoffs, and I was gone after that. So, you know, Sochi was short lived, but you know, it was a good time. Tell,
1: tell Olymp- us, ab- yeah, tell us about your Olympic I- experience. Uh, you 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 represented Team USA and World Juniors a couple of years, um, but. I got to believe the Olympics is that's a whole, it's just a yeah, whole other that's, level. It's that's not the working. highlight
2: of my hockey career for sure is um, being selected. I just remember it being like three in the morning, four in the morning, Vladivostok time. And I was still up because, you know, you travel so much and we were waiting we that practice till five o'clock at night. So I would probably, I would sleep from like 5 a.m. to 12 every day. And um, i Right before bed, I looked at my email and I refreshed it. I had an email from Jim Johansson, the GM. Former
1: Admiral, we might say.
2: Yeah. And he's like, Blummer, uh, give me a call. I'm like, okay. So, like, I plug, like, my take out my Russian SIM card, plug my US SIM card, and I call him. He's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, just about to go to bed. It's like 4 a.m. He's like, well, don't go to bed yet. He's like, we're selecting you to, to play for the Olympic team. I said, Holy shit, no way. Like, thank you so much. Like, you know, I just kind of like, just don't know what to say at that time, you know, right. it's a pretty special moment. And, you know, he said, just be ready. We'll send you out stuff like that. You know, we're, we're excited to have you on the team and let's go win a gold. And right after that, you know, I, I called my wife, called my dad, call everyone after and tell them made the Olympic team. And, um, I'll never forget that moment when JJ called me because, you know, like I go back when I said to Lane, like Lane genuinely cared. JJ really cared, you yeah. know, about oh God. um everyone else. You know, he 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 would put everyone else before him and you know, he was someone special in USA hockey. And you know, not only for me, just you know, like I said, playing a World Juniors and then being selected Olympics, he believed in me and um you know, I'll never forget him. He was amazing, and um, it was a bummer we came up short. You know, it'd have been nice to win a medal for him and his legacy. But um, you know, I felt like he put a good team together. We just, we just couldn't. You know, we lost one nothing in the shootout to check right. in the quarterfinals. So, you know, we're that close to having two games to win a medal.
1: Yeah, Bobby, Bobby Butler had a chance. He was, I think, he was the last guy right in the shootout to uh, to go for team. Yeah, I
2: think so. Yeah. Maybe try to go five or something. I don't remember. But yeah. yeah, it sucked. Like it just, you know, it's over like that in a shootout when you just want to play overtime and like see yeah. who the best is to win, you know. And did you stick around? Did you stick yeah, around for
1: the rest of the Olympics? You go
2: um, I stayed maybe two days or so. I didn't I was so pissed that I couldn't stay to um, do the end of the ceremony, you know, um, walk out and stuff the Russian team, Sochi was calling me and they were threatening me. Like if I don't come back, like the next day or whatever, like they're going to find me or whatever. And I was just so fucking pissed. Sorry for cussing. I was just, you know, cause I'm like I'm a once in a lifetime at the Olympics, like yeah. just let me stay one extra day to like right. do the closing ceremony and stuff like that. Like, but you know, the freaking those guys in Russia are assholes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I had to leave, which sucked. So, yeah. but I mean, Well, when you're at the Olympics, like, hockey's not even, like, the top three thing you get to do. The opening ceremony was probably the coolest moment, you know. You're with all, like, all the top athletes in the world, and, you know, you're you're standing shoulder to shoulder with them, and you're next up the United States of America, and you charge out there, and you're doing that full lap. And, um, you know, it's a moment I'll never forget, and it was just – something special and then you know just even eating in the lounge uh like the mess hall with every every other team and athletes and just seeing everyone and just talking to people because hockey is a different journey than someone on a you know bobsled, bobsled team or team whatever, or whatever. Yeah. you know yeah you know, it's some some people train so hard for four or five second event you know where hockey you know it's multiple games and you could fail but you could still get a goal but those people that have you know short track skating one little fall they're done you know it's right you know the men- the mental mindset of a, of a different athlete other than hockey um it's it was pretty cool just to be able to talk to people like that and just hear their stories and stuff like that and then obviously you know I get to play hockey for the United States of America and you know, go out against Russia, you know, who we hate yeah, and stuff. And, right, you know, you hear, you hear the USA chants, USA just gives you goosebumps and you're just freaking flying out that door. And, you know, those are the things I remember the most.
0: You know? Did you get the opportunity to see any other event or is it just hockey and Olympic Village?
2: Yeah, no, we went to um, like a figure skating event, curling, um, like long track speed skating. Okay. Uh, The mountain was like 45 minutes away, so we didn't have much time. We played uh, three games, four days, I believe it was, the round robin. So not much time, but after we got up to the mountain and um, they had these like houses called like the USA House or the Czech Republic House that you could go in and out of and have like some drinks or hang out. As a USA athlete, you can go there and relax and spend some time up there and just – seeing other stuff and i had my family there and stuff like that so it's pretty cool that's great, that's yeah, great.
0: that is fantastic to have the family there that's awesome i i want to uh, as we get close to the end here um tell me about being a reality tv star on hockey well <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what i like i like just to just say i'm an extra <laughs> real quick what um and and forgive me for the probing question because i don't necessarily like to ask this but i but i think it, 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 i think people want to know uh and you don't have to give figures or anything but what do you get paid what does one get paid for to being uh, for, for being on a on a show like that
2: no you didn't get paid anything uh really they called they called it a docu-series so
0: so there was no be,
2: pay no like you'd get reimbursed if you um the first to- season first season was nothing um wow. the third se- yeah so like the third season um like, they filmed my wife's baby shower in Chicago. Okay. So they helped pay for some of that. Okay. And then um, they came to Russia, and they paid for my wife's ticket, um, like that. So they would they reimburse you for some of the stuff, like, if we did. But, yeah, no uh, no money, wow. no getting paid. This, is, so this like, is major
1: insight for me. That's,
2: yeah. That's a yeah. Major
1: that's insight crazy. for me. early you watched – I watched uh, – I watched probably four seasons of it. Your first season, I didn't see your second season, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I I really enjoyed it. And it was uh, that was
2: cool. I mean, it, it wasn't like scripted or anything. They would just kind of ask what we're doing in advance, and we'd give them some things, and they would say, "Yeah, that's fine," you know, and stuff and like it that. Didn't so. seem
1: to me that they tried to gin up anything like. I was say any you know, no no, or no anything, drama
2: or anything right, like right. that. I mean, like, that's there was cool drama, energy. but. Yeah. yeah I think people want to see that and stuff like that but from us I think our mindset was we just wanted to show people uh, there's difference between making seven million dollars and being an up and down guy and from the AHL right. and NHL you know yeah. so life's not all glamorous and right they in a different episode called up and,
0: did you guys have yeah. relationships with the other couples on there before
2: um as the season, yeah like we they would have um, like a get together in Toronto or something where right. they filmed everything, and I but was you actually didn't necessarily pull- no,
0: like you didn't necessarily know Brandon Prost or anything. Like I mean, maybe, no, no, right? No.
2: Nope.
0: So yeah. the, the in in a way, it's manufactured. I guess you're all sharing your story, but you're well. The re, you remember the real world on MTV, right? This is the story. Yeah, yeah seven strangers who are forced to live together kind of situation.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. They would, like I said, they would, they would fly the girls out to Arizona and they would do something or, um, at the time, George Peros uh violent gentleman, like opening and right. stuff like that. So they, they would fly everyone to that and have all the people there and, you know, and that's, you know, where everyone would be in the same room at the same time, etc. But yeah, I mean, some of the girls knew each other, definitely, you know, um, for us, no, we didn't know anybody. We just, we went on our honeymoon, me and my wife, and we came back and she had an email on her email from a producer saying, Hey, um,
0: how did she get picked? Did she she send it? Just
2: just social media. I think, um, they just looked at girlfriends and wives of hockey players. Then they did their research and my wife's got a pretty cool background um being yes, in the military and the great. army and stuff like that. So um like I said, for me, like uh I was just kind of like an extra, you know, like it was just about her, you know, I wasn't in it too too much. Um we had a good storyline for the the first season where we wanted to show the up and down life. And then the second one, I was playing in Russia and she was pregnant and um we wanted to just document her being pregnant and our son being born. Um, yeah, then after that, you know, our kind of story's done, so right. I don't. Th- yeah. they're not doing it, it, it anymore, but if, no. if they asked, we'd probably say no, because our story's pretty much boring, and probably wouldn't be too good for TV. <laughs> it,
0: wasn't, it wasn't an intrusive thing, like cameras were around you all the time, that you would be, there would be a time where they were shooting. No, it would be like, like it,
2: would be, uh, it would be every a, few months, or whatever like that. Yeah, they'd come out like every two or three months or whatever, every month and film like a day or two and stuff like that. And we're actually like best friends now with the producer. Um, Wow. That's awesome. The girl. Yeah. she I introduced her to one of my buddies and they've been dating on and off for a while. And um, she's actually a huge natural Predator fan, like huge. (laughs) Um, So uh, yeah, small world, but yeah, no, they were very nice. And like I said, like, we got to document my son being born. They weren't in the room or anything, but they just gave me a little camera just to ask the wife how she's doing and right after and stuff like that. So it was cool. That's awesome. It was, I mean, something you don't get to do every day. And we said, why not?
0: No, yeah. no, but, but uh, well, and like you said, uh, or I'm curious, would, if they were to come to you and say, let's do it again, would you have, would you have any interest in doing it again?
2: I mean, I would do it, but like I said, we're, we don't have much going on. We're pretty, we're we're pretty basic now. We're, you know, it would be like watching paint dry, you know, we're not, (laughs) we're not going to be getting into verbal fights with other, you know, wives and players and stuff like that. So we're just, uh, no drama. Yeah. Yeah. The only drama is with the kids. (laughs) Yeah. You want to watch the kids take, like take a bath and throw shit and, you know, and, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not eat their dinner, or, you know. Clean up, right. you know. You could see, you could see that stuff, you know. But we, sure I, a good, we, live, we live That's that good. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's good. So. Well, it's it's nice to hear that pro hockey players have the same issues that I do. That's, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: <laughs> we're we're excited to get back home in two months and toss them to grandma and grandpa.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, as we as we wrap up. Uh, we always like to ask as the final question, when you think of your time in Milwaukee, what do you think of?
2: I just think of being so young and um, just having every opportunity like uh, to do whatever we wanted. It was a fun time. We were playing hockey, but, you know, my best friend, Scott Valentine, you know, um, when I got sent back from Nashville the one year and I, you know, I was pretty bummed out, you know, it was probably a a dark time for me mentally but i gotta hang out with my best buddy scott valentine live with them kevin henderson um yeah. victor bartley the four of us were living in a, in a you know apartment together and we were having the time of our lives you know we we had michael latta and taylor beck living right above us and you know for me it sucked because i got sent down but we had the best time, you know, Scott Ford, you know, we'd go to the, we'd go practice. And then after we'd go to lunch with Fordo and have a couple beers and we just, you know, we just lived life. We, we played hockey, you know, um, I just want to talk about the one time where we were in a slump, and then all of a sudden in March, the weather gets really nice in Milwaukee, yes. 70, 75 degrees and me and Val and uh, Henderson, we, we're like, we need to go to the beach. So we went to the beach and we're like, man, we got to have like a team event here. The next day it was like 78 degrees. Like this is the middle of March. We're like, holy shit. Like this never never happens in Milwaukee. So we went to the store, like we got up beers, we got tights, we got wiffle ball. Like (laughs) We had like a four or five hour outing there. And it was one of the greatest times. And the paper did a story about it and stuff. But after that, we went on a tear. And we made playoffs, you know, and, you know, saved our season and stuff like that. But we, we made playoffs, which was insane. And, you know, obviously we lost the first round, but like we all look back to that beach day and we're just like, man, what a time. And like, we all like rallied around each other. And
1: did you say to all the guys, Hey, listen, guys, I know what I'm doing here, right? I'm the beach (laughs) pro. Listen, all you Canadian guys who think you know how to do the beach, just follow my lead.
2: Okay. Yeah, I did. But like those, yeah, I mean, (laughs) who would have thought to buy kites, you know, right? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Or flying kites, playing a football, you know, but you got the college guys like Fanger and those guys, and they know how to drink and have a good time and set up beer pong on the beach. But like, I mean, it was awesome. It was, I'm sure if you talk to other guys that played on that team, they'll they'll go back to that, that day. And it was fun. That was a good memory that I have of of Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Blummer. We uh, can't thank you enough for your you've been so generous with your time. We told you this would probably take about 45 minutes and here we are. <laughs> uh, I think we blew past that just a little bit, but
2: uh, that's all right.
1: It, it was awesome to see you. Uh good luck with the rest of your season. Thank you so much for your time. Uh good luck with the kids for the uh, rest of the season as well.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure.
1: And uh you know, we'd love to get you back in Milwaukee sometime and uh you know, relive some of these memories in person.
2: Of course. Charlie Aaron, thanks. Thanks a lot and uh It's great to go down these memories again, and um, Milwaukee was a great part of my life, and I'll never forget it, that's for sure.
1: Awesome. Blummer. thanks again so much. Uh, You have been listening to a Milwaukee Admirals podcast.